as you guys know, we went on that vacation this last couple of weeks ago. We had some time and got to do some walking with God and praying and walking and talking. And, and I have to be honest, I've been really challenged uh, the last few weeks by God for uh, a couple of reasons. And here's, here's one of them. One, I think that as a church, we should definitely be doing more to evangelize to the lost in this city. How many could you agree with that? But I also think that part of that's my fault. Because let me ask you guys this. How many here, raise your hand, know what our mission statement, the motto is of this church? Now that's a problem because only a handful of people raise their hand. It's not your guys' fault. Because that's my job is to express and push forward the vision. And uh, I realize that if I'm not speaking that out and I'm not demonstrating that, then how can I expect anybody else to catch hold of that? If, if, if I mean, like I said, some of you guys have been here for months and you, you still don't know, and that's, that's not your fault. It's something that, that I want to be ingrained in the culture of this church, and God's been challenging me because we need to do more. We need to reach out. And first of all, I believe that that's, and we're going to talk about that today, is that's got to be an individual thing too. It's not just the church. It's not just you know, us going out on, on a couple Saturdays a month or a Saturday a month and witnessing while we're going to try to do more of that. And we're definitely going to focus on our, our four major events of the year with the next one coming up will be Easter. We're going to do a big Easter outreach again. And that's good. We can do that corporately. But individually, we have to catch that spirit as well, catch that fire as well. And I began to think, and I'm like, man, you know, I, I've talked about that. I do know I've, pre- I've talked about that. I've preached about inviting people and ministering to people. But something I also recognize, that's something that I have to model. Pastor Rick said it great last week. He said, some things can't be taught. They have to be caught. And I began to think back over the past couple of years, you know, the times that we've spent together, people have been with me. And, and other than, than actual designated events, I've been out to dinner with people. We've been to restaurants. And I began to think, I'm like, man. How often have I demonstrated that when we're out sitting at a table? How many people have I invited to church? How many people have I talked about, about Jesus? And I, 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 well, I'm like, well, there were, and I can't think of any. And I'm not sure that there's not any, but I can't remember any. And I began to realize as God challenged me that, that it's got to start with me as well. So first off, as we get into this one, I just want to apologize to everybody because have you ever had a job that... You know, you have your job requirements, you have your list of, of requirements. And have you ever met people that just meet that level? Like they're just, they're not doing anything bad enough to get, to get in trouble, but they're not doing anything good enough to tell anybody about. And I think that sometimes I feel like that I've been getting that way in, in my ministry. God's been challenging me. You know, and it really is, we're watching that, that movie tonight. Or last night, as she, she handed out the two cups of coffee. And she, she grabbed the one cup, and she's like, she's like, do you drink your coffee lukewarm? She's like, no, I drink mine hot. But she was talking about the difference between hot and cold and lukewarm. And I believe, and, and, and I think, one thing, I've always tried to be real and honest with everybody here. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person just like you guys. And, and, uh, and there, I think there are areas in my life that, that I'm just being lukewarm. And God's been challenging me. And you know what? I don't want to be that way anymore. And I can't imagine that I'm the only person that has some lukewarm areas in their life. 
And uh, I don't have to ask, I don't have to ask anybody to raise their hand because I think we've all have at least some areas like that in our lives. And this morning I want to talk about what is our mission statement. I asked you if anybody knew what it was. I didn't tell you what it was. Our, our mission statement, our, our motto in this church is evangelize, equip, and empower. Evangelize, you can say it another way, win, build, sin. But our, our vision, our goal as a church is, one, we want to evangelize the lost. We want to get people to know Jesus Christ. We want to share the gospel with them. We want to tell them about who he is, and we want to draw them in. And, and you know, we've talked, and I've, I've challenged you guys. I'm like, hey, you know, why aren't you guys inviting people to the movies, the barbecues? And I'm like, how many people have I invited? Probably about as many as you guys have. And I realized that something's got to change with me first as well. And then individually, we have to begin to live that as well. And I'm, I'm telling you guys this, and this really isn't even part of my message. This is just something that's on my heart. I'm telling you guys this not to condemn anybody because obviously I'm in the same boat. God's convicting me, and, and I think as a church and individually we need to step out into these things. But like I said, evangelize. We need to tell people about Jesus. And the next part is equipping them. And I feel like we do pretty well at that. I feel like if you're coming to this church and you're going to the events, you're getting fed, you're getting taught, you're hearing the Word of God, you're hearing it spoken truthfully, not, not all watered down. So we're doing okay there, but I definitely feel personally I'm not doing a great job at being an evangelist. And the truth is, I'm not. That's not my ministry. I, I, I'm a pastor. I, I feel like that, that I'm, I'm, I'm much better at teaching than evangelizing. But just like Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Sometimes we've got to do the work, even if it's not necessarily our calling. It's still, uh, truthfully, it's everybody's calling. And the next part is to empower. Our goal here is to win the lost, to equip them for their ministry, and then empower them to do their ministry. What I want to do is, is just like we were planted out of Living Hope Family Church Tucson, and we were planted out as, as just to send a couple out, a couple people, and, and we went out and, we, and we've grown to, to, to here today. That's what we want to do as well. There are people in this room that I want to raise up to be pastors, and I want to send you out to plant churches. Because that's our vision, to evangelize the lost, to equip them for their ministry, and then empower them to go off into that ministry. And, in, and that's an area that I think that, that we do okay. We, we're equipping people, we're empowering people for ministries in this church. I try to, to, as we release people into their different ministries, I try to let people do their thing with, uh, to, to flourish in those ministries. And there are small ministries that we have that are doing that. We have the, the worship team. We have people leading the men's ministry. We have, uh, just coming up, we're going to have people helping out with, the, with the, the media ministry, putting the sermons. There's all these different areas that we can help out and do those things. I think so far, we're doing an okay job in that. But ultimately, we want to send people out into the world. We want other churches planted. Amen. But that is our, our vision as a church, is to evangelize, equip, and empower. So now next time I ask that, everyone will know. And we're gonna, I'm going to try to make that a forefront of what we're talking about, because that needs to be, and that is my prayer, that that's the, 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 the fire that captures all of our hearts. So when we look out in the world, we see people that need Jesus. We, see, we just have a burning desire that we can't do anything else but tell them about Jesus. 
Amen? All right, so let's go ahead and get started. So we're going to, the next three weeks, we're going to talk about those three key points. Today we're going to talk about evangelize. And, and that's the, I think this is actually the primary thing that we need to do. And, and, and I take full responsibility, but probably the thing that we're worst at is the thing that we need to be the best at. We need to be talking to people. We need to be bringing people in. We need to be to ministering to them. And uh, we are going to do that. We're going to make some changes. And, and, and that's going to be corporately. We're going to really focus on those four main events. I think as a church of our size, those are the four primary events that we're going to focus on for our evangelization. Is we're going to do the Easter outreach, we're going to do a summer outreach, we'll do a Halloween outreach again, and then we'll do a Christmas outreach. And hopefully as we grow over this next month, we're going to have a little more people, we're able to put on something a little bit bigger. And we're also going to start looking at, you know, something that, that me, and, uh, me and John have gone, on an occasion gone out, just me and him, and knocked on doors. And... And we're going, to start, we're going to be getting together the leaders here pretty soon and start brainstorming on things that we can do. Because truthfully, that doesn't work all that well, knocking on doors. Unfortunately, it's kind of been destroyed. But there's got to be something that we can do to reach the lost. So we're definitely going to do our four. And the next thing that I want to focus on and we'll talk about today is not only evangelizing corporately, but we need to do it individually as well because it is all of our responsibility. And the first thing that I would begin to do, and it's something that I began doing, is just begin praying, asking God to open a door, to give you someone to talk to. Heck, I don't even pray for someone easy. Probably better we start off that way. God, send me something, someone to talk to that's going to be responsive. Because the truth is, is this is what we are here for as a church and individually. It's what we are here for. Should I just know that you, I know you guys know, but you have the life of Christ inside of you. And you have Him living through you. And His life inside of us causes us to love people. And that's one thing that God's been really working on my heart over the past many years. It's to soften my heart towards other people. To really feel, and I've been praying, God, give me your eyes. Give me your, I mean, I want, when I look at people, I want to see what God sees because I want to hurt like he hurts so that it will spur me to do something instead of worry about the cowardice that runs in my head sometimes. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What we do should look like Christ. Philippians 2, 3-8 says, Do nothing from self-ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, this is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is the attitude that we should have, this attitude that Christ has. And he lives inside of you. This is an attitude you can have because he lives inside of you. You have his life inside of you. But his attitude was that I'm willing to die to make sure that everybody can be brought in. And I, I pray that I would have that, that, those eyes in my head, that I would see that way because I want 
to have such a passion and burning inside of me to reach the world that it would overcome anything that would be pushing against me. And I'll be honest with you, I don't have that yet. It's getting stronger, and and I hope you can see today that that's what I want, and I'm praying to God to give it to me, and I know it's growing every single day. But I want to see people like God sees them. And it may be a weird thing to say, but I want to hurt for them like God hurts for them. And I want, particularly going forward, as we refocus and we, we bring it in, everything that we do going forward is with this mission in mind. Everything. And I don't ever want to get in a position, and, and thank God we're, we're not there now, and, and, but as we grow too, I want to be real, real focused that nothing that we ever do, no program that we ever do, is for the, the, just to be a program. Our goal is always to reach the lost. Even the stuff that we do now, I mean, we can have a, a great Easter Sunday just to have a good time, but that's not the point. The point is to minister to people, to put us in contact with people. And that's one thing that even in the stuff that we've done so far, we've had great success. We've had people join us and visit us. But I think that we can, we can interact stronger. And that's the next step for us. We've been very good at when we do those things, we're inviting people to church. But the next step, and I think for us is to, when we meet with them, not only just invite them to church, but begin to find out where they're at with God and begin to share the gospel with them. And everything we do should have that end in mind. Yeah. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, Jesus had all authority given to him. God granted him all authority. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's, that's everything. That's all of it. There's nothing that was left out. It was given to Jesus. And then he says for us to go. We've been given the exact same authority that Jesus has because his power is behind us. Just like when a, a police officer shows up to your door and the reason, the very reason that you can't just put on a police officer's uniform or put lights on your car and impersonate a police officer because there is authority behind that uniform. There is something behind him. When a police officer comes to the door, he has the full authority of the city and state in which he works behind him. And it's not his, but it's his because he's underneath the authority of the city and the, the, state that he, the, the city that he works for. And the same is for us. When we go out and we begin to, to minister the gospel, when we begin to talk to people, that same authority that Jesus has has been given to us. And we're not impersonators. We're not just throwing on a uniform. He stands behind us every step of the way. says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See, that's the second part of, of and well, we may talk about it next week. I imagine we will. But that's the second part of it. We're to evangelize, and then we're, we're to make disciples. That's the equipping part. We can't leave people how they were. And Jesus, he exercised, what did he do when he was walking this earth? He exercised his authority to heal, to cast out demons, to forgive sins. Now, we don't personally have the authority to forgive sins, but we have the authority to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. Jesus already did it. Sins are forgiven. Sins, do you guys know that sins aren't an issue for, for God anymore? 
The, the price has been paid. Nobody's going to hell for their sins. Anybody that's going to hell is because they didn't receive the free gift of salvation. And when Jesus came back, I imagine right before He ascended, I mean, they just lost Jesus. And then He came back. He rose from the dead. And we see a great movement. Everything changed at that point. There were, the disciples were defeated, completely defeated. And we see an absolute turnaround as they saw that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And, and, and they came back. And then He's like, wait, I've got to leave again. And I bet for a moment that had to have been hard on the disciples. But the truth is that he wasn't leaving to stay gone. It says that, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to know that when you go out into the world and you're going out in his authority, he is always behind you, backing you up in every single thing that you do. And we can go with boldness and proclaim the gospel and know that what we say carries weight because it's the truth of his word. Amen? And this just isn't for the disciples. Many people have argued. This is, no, he was talking to the disciples. He wasn't talking to us. And it's so easy, if you just spend a few moments in Scripture, you'll see that he wasn't just talking to the twelve disciples. You guys, you know who Philip is? And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read these verses, but you remember Philip came along because the, the widows uh, weren't getting, all the widows weren't getting served, so they, they nominated some people to take care of the widows. And we see Philip for the first time. And Philip begins, and he serves the widows. Now, Philip wasn't one of the twelve disciples. And he began serving those widows. And that's in, that's in Acts 6, 2-6. through 6. You can read about that. And then that's when they, they found uh, Philip for the first time. And then the next thing we have on is, is uh, Stephen. You guys remember Stephen? He wasn't a disciple. And in Acts 6, 7-8 through 8, it says that Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And then Philip, we talked about Philip, all he was doing was serving widows. He started at the bottom. Serving, just, just waiting tables. The next thing we hear about, about Philip in Acts 8, 4 through 6, it says the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. Matter of fact, the next time we hear about Philip, they refer to him as the evangelist Philip. Or Philip the evangelist. And we see that it wasn't just the disciples that were given this authority to do these things the authority that, that Jesus had, but it was all disciples. That includes you and me, and, and that's our responsibility as well, to go into the world and make disciples. Which should be our great commission, but has so often become the great omission in the church, but it's the great commission for all of us, one and the same, amen? Because the truth is, there's a need. In Romans 3, 10 through 18, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asses under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, these scriptures are quoted from multiple places in the Old Testament. And you can probably find everyone. If you've got your Bible, there's probably a little footnote that will tell you where every single one is. But it's quoted from multiple places. But the reality is, is that there is not one righteous person out there. And this idea that someone can be good enough is a, is a fallacy that the devil is promoting to try to deceive people into thinking that they can make it on their own, that they don't need Jesus. 
But we should definitely, especially as Christians, we should recognize that there is a need for Jesus. We should recognize it in our own life, and we should recognize it in the lives of others. That should never be a doubt for us. Something that drives me bonkers more than anything is when parents say, oh, we want to let our children decide for themselves. Well, if you're not preaching to your kids, the world is going to be, and they're going to decide the wrong way. Or people that say, no, I don't want to push my faith on somebody else. Do you believe what the Scripture says? Do you believe that if they don't accept Jesus Christ that they're going to hell? Because if you believe that and you're not willing to share your faith, you are the most selfish person on the planet. You are basically sending people to their doom. You have the opportunity to share the only thing that can free them from the bondage and sin and death of this world. And you're saying, no, I don't want to push that on them. It'd be like someone running into a building that was on fire. And you're like, I really don't want to push safety on them. If they want to run into a burning building, that's okay. I mean, none of us would do that, right? That's nonsense. But when, we're, when we refuse to share the gospel, that's basically what we're doing, except for they're already in the burning building. And we're refusing to pull them out. The truth is, is that without Jesus, we're all in a bad place. We're horribly poor to do. I don't know what word I was trying to find there. Stephen Curtis Chapman and his pastor said this, in the gospel we discover that we are worse off than we thought, but far more loved than we ever dreamed. You see, there is a need, and people are hurting, and people are broken. Some of them don't even know there's a need, some do. But the truth is, the people need Jesus, and we have that to share with them. And there's a massive gap between everybody and the Lord. And you guys have all seen the illustration of the huge chasm between somebody on one side and God on the other, and the only thing that bridges it is by laying the cross across that gap. And the truth is, that's the only thing that can bring them out of it. And we have that. Why would we not share that with them? Because we know that there's a solution. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I wish there was something that I could do to flip a switch in everybody's mind and, and knock out this idea that this is the, oh, everybody knows this verse. It's become this jaded thing. You've heard me talk about it before because there's so much power in this verse. God loved you so much that His Son came to this earth and died for He gave His Son for you. That's the solution. That's what bridges the gap. That's the cross laid across so that people can come to Him and be made whole. And every person that doesn't have Jesus is stuck on the other side. And when we refuse to tell them, when we, we, we're scared to tell them, when we won't actually just step out and take that chance, then we're leaving them to their doom. It's like someone drowning and refusing to throw them a life vest. We have the life vest the, the, of the gospel. We can pull them, we can, we can pull them out. And I know this. And I look at my own life and I'm like, why have there been so many times that I refuse to say something? Particularly when, when I knew God was talking to me. The Holy Spirit was talking to me. I've told you guys before, I, I rarely have a problem hearing God. I have a problem listening. And I look back, I remember when I was a young man and, and I wasn't walking real close with the Lord, but I knew Him. And I had a friend of mine who was just 
lost as all could be. But we hung out. He was a good friend. I worked with him. I was probably 16 or 17. And um, shortly after uh, my wife and I got married, we found out that he committed suicide. I never shared the gospel with him. I knew he needed it. Because everybody does. And he was a friend of mine, so I loved him. Yet I still didn't share the gospel. There's always part of us that thinks that maybe there's, there's enough time. Or maybe they'll figure it out on their own. Or I don't want to press my beliefs. I wish right now, with everything that I had, that I would have pressed my beliefs on him. I wish I could have. Because I'm, I'm pretty certain that he wasn't saved when he went. You know, could I have done something different? Now, ultimately, I realize it's not my responsibility to save somebody. But it is my responsibility to share the gospel with them. And I didn't do my part in that. And I hope somebody else did and he had the opportunity. You know, but we are called to share. We're called to preach the gospel because... They need it. And, and, and it shouldn't just be our friends that our hearts hurt for. It should be everybody that we see on the streets every day. We should feel that same compassion. And, and just like Jesus walked around and He said, He said, you know what, these are, these are my sheep and they don't have a shepherd. They need somebody. We should look at them and see them walking around hopelessly and our hearts should ache. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7 it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We have jars of treasure. And it's just like when Elisha told that widow, you know, take your small thing of oil and keep pouring. And it didn't run out. She just kept pouring and it kept pouring and it kept pouring until she filled every vessel in the entire city. Like we don't have any more. Just like that. If we pour our treasure into the lives of others, if we share it with others, it's never going to run out until the last vessel in this world is filled. And then we won't need it anymore. Jesus is coming back and we're golden. But we have that to share. And, it's, and not only do we have it, it's not going to run out. It's, not gonna, it's our responsibility to share it with others. You know, and, and those of you that have I've been in Christians for a long time. You know this. You know that we're not peddling something insincere. It's like in 2 Corinthians 2.17, it says, For we're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We're not peddlers of God's word. Especially when I think of, when I hear the word peddler in my mind, you almost think of like, uh, you know, old school Junk salesmen, you know, they're just peddling whatever they could find. But it's not like that. What we have isn't something that's just found on the, the side of the road. It's something so incredibly valuable. And I think the first step to, to begin to, to share that freely is to recognize how valuable it really is. I think sometimes in this country we, we become so jaded to this treasure that we have, we don't even, can't even grasp it. So we're, it does, we don't even think of it as something worth sharing. And I know that's not the attitude that I want. And I know it's not the attitude that Jesus had. And Mark two fifteen through 17 it says, As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 
and the scribes of the Pharisees. And when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was willing to spend time with people that the rest of society didn't think were worth it, that didn't think were good enough. The truth is, we'll probably have more success sharing the gospel with people that the society doesn't want because they actually realize that they need something. They don't think they got it all figured out on their own. But the truth is, is Jesus' attitude was, you know what, I'll eat and sit with anybody. I don't care. To give them the opportunity to come in, and that's the attitude that we should have. And not look at people when we see them, maybe they're, they're, they're not clean or they're homeless, and we begin to, to... How many people have stopped and shared the gospel with a homeless person? Not very many. I don't think I have. I've shared with them, and I've you know, given them little little handouts and stuff, but it's... Man, I've got to be honest. When I look at, at my life, I'm terrible at talking to people about God. And I want that to change. Like I told you guys last week, I never wanted to be said that somebody else had to do the job that God sent me here to do. And that's the truth. So you know that there's only three types of people that Jesus can't help? Three types of people. There are those who don't know or know of Him. If they've never heard of Him, Jesus can't help them. There are those who won't admit that they need Him. And there are those who know of Him, but refuse to trust Him. The only three people that Jesus can't help. Now those who know of Him, but refuse to trust Him, There's not a whole lot we can do about that except for pray. We just pray. And those who won't admit that they need Him, you know, it's it's so sad. And it's but it's so true, and it's happened in my life and probably happened in many of yours, but so many times we have to hit rock bottom before we finally say, You know what, God? I need you, I can't do it alone. And man, I wish that wasn't so. Especially, there, there are still times in my life where I'm trying to hold on to stuff. Even as a Christian, I, it's, there, there are areas where it's like, man, why do I have to wait till it gets terrible? or it gets, Well, why did I have to wait till a time where I had to spend a weekend with God and just have Him talking to me and really have the Holy Spirit begin to convict me of these things? Why did I have to wait this long? Why wasn't I doing it in the first place? Or particularly those, I mean, why... Before I got saved the first time, why did I have to hit so low? And then the last one is those who don't know of Him. And that, those last two, those who don't know of Him are those who, who won't admit that they need Him. We need to be praying for those people or we need to go out there and telling people about Jesus. And then in Matthew 9.36 it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Such a provocative description of us because that's exactly how people are. As we follow the latest and greatest trend, we get, we get herded up and, and taken to all kinds of places. 
You guys ever heard of uh, the Judas goat? Do you guys know what a Judas goat is? When they're herding sheep, a sheep like us are kind of dumb sometimes. And they don't do anything. They've got to be moved. If, if you don't do anything, they'll just sit there and stay there. It doesn't matter what's going on. They need someone to lead them and move them. So what, what, what sheep herders have found is that they can take a goat that's been traded. They want to load them onto a, uh, to, to a trailer to head to the slaughterhouse. That they, they just take this goat that's been trained to walk onto the, to the trailer and, and, and they head them down this chute and all the sheep will just begin to follow them. They don't care. And right as they get to the end, they send the goat one way and they send the sheep all the other way to be slaughtered. And these sheep that have no guidance, they have no shepherd. That's basically what's happening in this world today is these, these sheep are just wandering aimlessly with no, with no direction, no guidance, except for what they see on billboards and on TV, and they're being led straight to the slaughterhouse. And they don't even know it. And Jesus saw that, and he had compassion on them. And he wanted to be their shepherd if they would just let him in. You know, this was the attitude of Christ, and it didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter what they were doing. He was going to be there for them and be their shepherd. And we need to let people know that that's the case, that he loves them so much that he'll be there for them. See, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. John 10.16 says, and I have sheep that are not of this fold. He's referring to, to the Gentiles at this point, not the Jews. And he says, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock, one shepherd, being brought into the same fold. This is the whole purpose that Jesus came, was to save the lost, to be their shepherd, to bring them in. In Luke four sixteen through 21 it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to his attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came to proclaim liberty and freedom. And the Jewish rabbis at this time, they attributed this scripture to the Messiah. They knew it was talking about the Messiah. How many mouths do you think dropped when Jesus said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing? He said, I'm the Messiah. And the reference here is the, the year of, of, of Jubilee. You can read about that in Leviticus 25. And it's basically every seventh year was a sabbatical year for the nation when the land was allowed to rest. And every 50th year after every seven sabbaticals was set apart as the year of Jubilee. And the main purpose of this special year was the balancing of the economic system. Slaves were set free and returned to their families. Property was sold and reverted to the original owners. All debts were canceled, and the land lay fallow as man and beast rested and rejoiced in the Lord. And Jesus says, I am your year of jubilee, freeing you from every debt, giving you rest, giving you peace, returning everything that has been stolen from you by the enemy has been returned back to you, and all your debts that you had were forgiven. That's what Jesus came back to do, and to share that good news with others. And we also get to proclaim this good news. I mean, this is good news, guys. And we get to proclaim it. 
And the gospel is supposed to be exactly that. Good news, not fear-based. When I used to go to the University of Arizona, I remember still there was this guy that would set out on the mall there, the big grass, grassy area, and he would begin to just yell at these college students, tell them they were going to hell and all these things. And, and I couldn't understand it. I'm like, how do you figure that's good news? Now the truth is, he wasn't saying anything that was a lie. But nothing he was saying was in love. Because you can't talk like that in love. Love says, yeah, you may have a problem, but let me tell you about the answer. Let me tell you about the solution. Let me tell you about the good news that all that stuff that that guy was talking about, you've been freed from in Jesus Christ. The debt that you've welled up, the, the punishment that you've been saving up for yourself in the time of judgment, Jesus paid for it. If you receive that payment, he'll take care of it. Everything that's been stolen from you by the enemy, your joy, your peace, your health, your provision, you can have that back. And it's for everybody. It's available to every single, every, every person that you look at on the street. There's not a single one of them that Jesus didn't die for. In Romans 10, 11 through 13, it says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. How do we know that's good news? We can go and tell people about that, and it's not, it's not a lottery. It's not, you know, you can take a chance and you probably are going to be okay. It says, if you, if you believe in his name, you will not be put to shame. That means that what he says is true. It says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who will call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It also goes on to say that it's for everybody. Jews, and, there's not a single people group that has been excluded from the gospel, from the freedom in Christ, from, from God's love. There's not a single person. That means if you're rich or you're poor. That means if you have... Uh, a, a job on Wall Street, or if you work for, for the city transit system, or you work for the, for the refuse system. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're a janitor somewhere, or, or if you're the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, Jesus died for you. It doesn't matter if you're white, or you're black, or you're Mexican, or you're, or you're a woman, or you're a man. It doesn't matter. Jesus died for you. So that means when you look out there and you see walking, people walking by, every single person deserves to hear the good news of the gospel. Because every single person he died for, and every person who will call on his name, will be saved. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, I think, if, you, if we walked out there and began to just ask, particularly in this day and age where everyone's so busy, everybody's so out of control, everybody's so burdened by all the different minutia in our life, if you ask someone, hey, do you think you could use some rest? Do you think that you're labored or heavy laden, you're burdened? I, th- I think almost everybody would say yes. And we have the answer, and it's available to everyone who will just call on Him. In Romans 10.14, we talked about this uh, for our, our offering verse this morning. It says, How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's a good question. That's a question. That, I mean, that right there is a, put it up on your refrigerator and ask yourself that every morning. So we found out that here... 
all who call on Him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he goes on to say in the next verse, how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Well, if they don't believe in Jesus, they can't call on Him. And how will they believe in Him? How can they even get to that part if they've never heard of Him? And how will they ever hear of Him if none of us are willing to open our mouth? You know, I think it always runs through my head you know, talking to people, and you know, some people are, are just not interested and they're going to push us away. And, and uh, you know, you begin to think, like, what's the point? Nobody wants to hear anyway. But then I think back to my life the first time that I heard about Jesus. I wasn't asking for anybody to talk to me about it. I wasn't asking for anybody to come and tell me about this. Yet somebody had the courage to begin to share with me. And I look at my life and I'm like, man, there was a time that I wanted nothing to do with this, but somebody had the courage. And there were probably so many times that I heard it before and I pushed it away, but for whatever reason, that time, it made an impact. And the same is true for everybody out there. Because every time you talk to them, you're planting a seed. And the truth is, we may next week we could talk to 100 people and not a single person could respond. But that's not our responsibility. Absolutely, plant seeds in their lives. The truth is, even if nobody ever responded ever again, that's not our job. If nobody else on this planet got saved ever again, it's not our job to save them. It's our job to preach the gospel, to tell them about it. Because one thing's for certain, if we don't preach, if we don't tell them about it, then they'll never have the opportunity. In 1 Corinthians... 118, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The truth is, is that when we go out and share the gospel, we may very well find opposition. Because until they're ready to hear it, until the Holy Spirit has worked on their heart, and they're ready to receive it. And sometimes people have to hit rock bottom for that. Probably why the best place to preach the gospel is at a funeral. That's when people start asking the hard questions. But until they're ready to receive, it's going to seem like foolishness to them. It's going to seem crazy. You're telling me that some guy died for me on a cross 2,000 years ago so that I could be set free? And they're going to think it's crazy. But the reality is, it's the power of God unto salvation. But we may face opposition. You may face people. Like I said, you may talk to people for the rest of your life and never have one person respond. But it doesn't mean that you didn't do what God called you to do. Except it's not our job to say, I mean, look at Noah. He preached for, what, 125 years, I think, as he was building that boat. And not a single person responded. And it was just him and his family that made it. But Noah did his job. He did what he was supposed to do. Are we doing what we're supposed to do? Like I said, we have, we have examples in the gospel. Acts 8, 12-13, it says, When they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. We talked about Philip earlier. He, was the, the evangel- he wasn't a disciple. He was just a regular person like you and me. And the first opportunity he got to serve was somebody asked him to, to, to serve soup. And he went, nah, I don't, I don't want to serve soup. 
I'm too, I mean, don't you know what my skill set is? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I'm good at? Why don't you have me doing, why don't you have me doing something up front where people can see me? I don't just want to serve soup. That's not what Philip said. He said, you know what, I'm going to do that. And he was faithful with something very small. And then God turned him in to Philip the evangelist. How many people were touched and saved because Philip was willing to, to scoop soup? In Acts 13, 47-48, it says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. But you know that you're a light to this world. We should be shining brightly. And I've said this before, you've heard me say it before, regardless, as soon as you proclaim that you're a Christian, you're shining. The question is, are they seeing the love of God? Or are they seeing something else? And unfortunately, if we're not careful, they'll attribute that something else to God, even though it's us not shining like we should. But we should be shining brightly because we're a light for the gentle. We're the light. For, what he's saying is that we're a light for the lost. Just like on the edge of the ocean, they put up lighthouses so ships can know where to go and know which direction to head. Just like ships we used to use the stars to navigate. To where they were going, we're a light to the Gentiles. We're showing their way. But if we refuse to, to be that light, if we try to cup it and cover it, how are people going to know where to go? How are people going to know how to get to Jesus? In Romans 15.20, here's where we're going to end. In Romans 15.20 it says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. This is something I think that needs to be a core tenet of what we do as we evangelize. We should never, this is Paul basically saying, when I go out and preach the gospel, I'm trying to reach people that have not been reached. I'm not trying to, to, to what we need to not do is be stealing from other churches. We don't want to play church musical chairs. That's not doing anything. That's not growing the church. That's just, People hopping, church hopping. You know, it's something I'm always there by when I do tell people, and I begin to speak to people, and I ask them if they go to a church. And if they say that they do, I usually say, praise God, and I leave it at that. Because I'm not trying to take people from other churches. That's not doing anything. That's not changing anybody's life. And I recognize that we are going to get people from other churches. Most of you guys have come from other churches. And if you feel like God's telling you to go somewhere else, that's different. But we're not going to actively try to recruit from other churches. You get, you get what I'm saying? He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation. We as a church, and individually, should want to reach the lost, to reach the unreached. To make an impact. To change somebody's life. Has anybody ever had an ambition to change somebody's life? That's the best way you can do it. Anybody ever had an ambition to make an impact in the world? Anybody ever wanted to do something with their life? Raise your hand. You guys all just wanted to, to sit and do nothing your whole life? This is the greatest way you can make an impact in somebody's life. 
I didn't have time to read it today, but there's a story of how, how Billy Graham came to know the Lord. And they can trace it back quite a few generations to the first kid that was someone took a chance and preached the gospel to a young man. And that trickled down through the ages. And, and finally, Billy Graham down that line was ministered to, and we know the impact that he has. And every minister before him that preached and made a, a difference in his life, that's impact. And it all started because somebody was willing to preach to some young man and share the gospel. Now this morning, like I said, this, uh, this isn't a message to condemn anybody, but to encourage. Because we have something so good inside of us. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't want to remain lukewarm in this area anymore. And I begin praying and asking God to, to give me people, to give me, uh, to give me someone to, to save. But Joseph, who's that guy you tell us that used to pray every day that he could have one soul a day? Praying high. He used to pray his life that he, that he would, and, and uh, he would pray that he, could, he would reach one person, he would save one person a day. And every day for, for how many years did he lead So 15 years every day he got someone saved because he prayed to God that he would have one soul every day. And I have to admit, I heard that story the first time and I was amazed. I'm like, that's amazing. But terrifying at the same time. You know, you would think that that would inspire you to go home and begin to pray that. But I'll be honest, it didn't. I'm like, that's crazy. I know, but sometimes my mouth gets in the way. <laughs> but you know, I began to pray that God would change things, that I would have people to speak to. And I, I'll be honest, to asking, and I don't know why, maybe it's just me, there's still a part of me that, uh, that I still haven't prayed to let me have one soul a day. So maybe there's a part of me that's afraid of that a little bit. But I have been praying that God would, that I would have opportunities, and I would see those opportunities. And uh, you know, I want to encourage everybody that we would we would see those opportunities and we would take advantage of them. You know, and that we would invite people to church. We have on the back table. We have your invited cards. We try to make it as easy as we can. If you're if you're afraid to, to share the gospel, let's start there. Let let's say this week that every single one of us at least invites one person to church. You know that every single one of us invited one person to church, it would double. Next week we, we wouldn't have enough chairs. I want to encourage you. Take something. Let's just invite them. And if you're a little bit more mature and you're willing, begin to share the gospel. Let's get somebody saved this week. And let's be a people that are going to rock this city. And what do they say about, I think it was uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas that said, those are definitely disciples. Those who have turned the world upside down are here. Let's let that be said about us. Because we're willing to share the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and borrow it.